words that are highlighted, and I'm going to ask you to kind of shout those out. So just get yourself ready. For some of you, you need like the, the heads up. You're like, don't throw me into this in the last second. So count this your, consider this your heads up, okay? All right. You know that Jesus loves you, right? Yes. Okay. Because he's for you. He's not against you. But here's the thing. As much as he loves us, there's times I believe that Jesus isn't pleased with his church. That the church has engaged in behavior over the, the centuries that I believe is contrary to the heart of God and his design for our church. And so this series has focused on what kind of church has Jesus called us to be? What kind of church has he called you to be? Because the church is not a building it's a people that Jesus didn't predict a place. He predicted a people. And so you are the church. So what kind of church is Jesus calling you to be? See, because in the world around us, and studies are, are showing this more and more, that people say, hey, I'm good with Jesus. I just don't like his followers. Well, that's inconsistent. As true as it might be, it's inconsistent. And it should bother us. It should bother... They shouldn't bother, the people who say that shouldn't bother us, by the way, because I see that in the church so much, where those people are just church haters, and maybe they've got a good reason. We should give people a reason to love us. We should give them many reasons to love us. It should bother us. It should break our hearts that Jesus would be represented in a way other than what is his heart. And true of his kingdom. So we've talked about a lot of different things over the weeks. If you've missed any of those messages, you can go on the website or uh, at thriveglendora.org and you can listen to those. Or if you uh, have iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcasts. Last week, though, we talked about the church that Jesus loves is empowered by his spirit. The church Jesus loves empowered by his spirit. We talked about... Uh, we talked about how he empowers us to pray and how he empowers us to extraordinary living. And then the last point last week was that he empowers us to preach, to declare the word of God. And, and today's message is a continuation of that last point. We're going to kind of pick it up at that point, but we're going to move into some very practical things this morning. Because I got to tell you, I grew up in church. I've grown, been in church my whole life. And there's a lot of Sundays where I walked away going, well, that sounded good, but what does that actually mean for me? Anyone else can relate to that? You're like, that sounded good. I'm so impressed by how smart my pastor is and how many Greek words he knows. But I don't actually know what that means for me practically. We're going to get a little practical today. So today, the church Jesus loves is sent by Jesus. The church Jesus loves is sent by Jesus. We could insert the word commissioned there as well. The church Jesus loved is commissioned by Jesus. But I think commissioned is a big word that we go, oh, what does that even mean? But we get sent, right? If you've ever been sent to the grocery store, husbands, right, to pick up something specific and then you stand in whatever, I, I think it's always the baking stuff that gets me. I'm like, I'm not... Sure, is it this kind of sugar or that kind? You're right. You know what I'm talking? Anyone? All right. <laughs> we know what it means to be sent. You know, everything we've looked at over the past few weeks, we talked about love, bringing hope, walking in the fear of the Lord, our commitment to unity as the church. We've talked about giving. We've talked about empowerment. You know that every single one of these things, 
loses its savor, its, its, its richness. It loses its value and it loses its purpose if we only ever practice those things here. I've, I've been to churches where, you know, you ask people, what do you love about your church? Oh, man, we're just like a family. We love each other. But man, if you're an outsider, if you're a visitor, you're not going to partake in that because everyone loves each other really well. But the person who's new is like, what are, what are you doing here? That's not the heart of Jesus Christ. That's a church that's lost its savor. When uh, John writes the book of Revelation and he says, Jesus gives us the revelation, and he says to the church in Ephesus, you're doing everything right, but you've lost your love. And therefore, because you've lost your love, it doesn't matter what else you do. And if we don't love people, it doesn't matter what we do. We lose our saviors. Jesus talked about the salt. It loses its saltiness. It's not worth anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. See, it loses its savor because we're meant to be a people on a mission. On mission. We have a mission. We are a missional church. And we're going to talk about that. A lot this morning. John chapter 17, verse 17 through 20 says this Jesus praying for his disciples and praying for us. He says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through, your, through their message. Who's that? That's us. That we have believed because someone shared the message of the hope of Jesus Christ with us. There's some words in here that are key for us to understand. The first one is this, sanctify. The word sanctify is to consecrate or to set Apart, when you read in the Old Testament with the tabernacle and the temple, that the utensils and the tools they used in the service of the Lord were, set, were consecrated. They were set apart for the purposes of the kingdom of God. They were special. They were special. They were, they were, they were made holy and made clean in the eyes of the Lord. Jesus says that we are to be sanctified. How are we sanctified? By the truth. That we are cleansed and we are set apart by His Word, by the truth of His Word. And so it's His Word that starts cleansing us, but it's also His Word that is then put in our mouths to declare as we go. Can I just tell you right now, people don't need your good ideas. They just don't. They don't need your good advice. What people are desperate for is the Word of God. That every one of us, and the more, here's what I know, the more I'm, I study the word and I read the word, the hungrier I get for it. It, it, it causes a, a, a craving in my soul for more of his word. Why? Because when we receive God's word, it, 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 it cleanses us, it sanctifies us, and it sets us apart, it consecrates us. And then he says, just as you have sent me, Father, I'm sending them. I'm sending them into the world. So what's he saying? Don't hang out here and get comfortable. The goal of the church was never that we would build a comfortable building with comfortable chairs, with comfortable programs, and things that just made us feel better about ourselves. 
so that we could show up on a Sunday and slap each other on the back and go, hey, you're doing great. This place is a place of equipping. It's a place of purpose. Ephesians 4 says that we're to be equipped as the, the, as the saints of God to go and do the work of the ministry because every one of you is a minister. The, the goal of the church is that we would fulfill our design and our purpose. By the way, Jesus says this when, when he says about them that they would go and others would believe whose message? You remember? He says their message. That those, I, I pray for those who believe through their message. Why? Because his message becomes our message. And his words become our words. And what we see here is a picture of a release of authority, kingdom authority, because we're empowered. We're Holy Spirit empowered to go and declare the word. You have a message, and God is calling you to share that message. I want us to read this next passage together. It'll be up on the screen. Let's read the words together. Uh, we have it here in the NIV translation, and if we could put that up real quick. Matthew chapter 28 you'll see that there's two words that are highlighted and they're in a different color. Okay, everyone see that? All right, we're going to read this out loud together, but when we get to those two words, I want you to put some extra emphasis on it. All right? Now, everyone's going to be doing it, so don't feel like you're going to stand out alone. This is not... I, 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 I was a youth pastor for many years, and we used to do the games where, like, it was a setup, right? This isn't a setup. You're not going to get embarrassed. What we want to do is declare the word of God in this place today, okay? Ready? Begin. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it continues, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples of all nations. You know what I don't see in here are any caveats. Go if you feel up to it. Go if you're not busy doing something else. Go if it doesn't inconvenience your life. And he doesn't say go to some people or people you like, or people who are easy. He goes, go to all nations. Let me read a couple more. Mark chapter 6, verse 7, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you think Jesus means this? Absolutely. One person, right? No, I know you believe this. Jesus means this. It's so critical for us. It's so important for us to capture this. Go 
And be my disciples. Go and preach the word. Go and reach other people. And there's a key here for us. He talks about the authority, the kingdom authority that Jesus got and he has passed on to us. He says, you're not just going, you're going under my authority. I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of the USS Midway. USS Midway. It's an aircraft carrier docked down in San Diego. Um, And it's been turned into a museum. And it's one of no, it's my favorite museum in the world. I love the Midway. Anyone been to the Midway? All right, if you, have, if you have the chance, go check it out. I've been a few times, and I love it. I love, I, I love every part of just going through all of the decks and exploring all of the, the details of the USS Midway. You can tell that the USS Midway is a decommissioned aircraft carrier. You can see on its deck there, they actually have examples of all of the different aircraft that over the decades have been based off of carriers in the United States Naval Fleet. This aircraft carrier, uh, the keel was laid in 1943. That means they started building in 1943, right in the middle of World War II. It was launched in April of 1945, and it was commissioned on September 10th, 1943. 45, and finally decommissioned on April 11th, 1992. I found some pictures. Um, This next picture is actually the day that this vessel was launched. So this is in April 1945, and there's a big ceremony. There's a lot of people, and this is where they come out, and they have the champagne bottle, and they break it on on the hull, and then it launches out into the ocean, and it's a big, big deal, a big ceremony. This is at Newport News out in Virginia where they built uh, build a lot of our, our ships in our U.S. fleet. So that's the day it set, uh, was set in the water and, and started its trial, started going through the testing to make sure that, first of all, it could float, it's important, um, and that everything worked. The next day that came, though, was later in September of 19, 1945. Uh, let's show this next picture. This is actually the artwork from the cover of the program at the commissioning of this vessel. It's kind of fun finding this. There's a whole website with all of this. The next page, uh, there's a couple of pages I want to show you. Um, it's, you can't read it, but it, what, it, what it basically says, it lists all of the commanding officers, talks about who the ship was built by. Uh, it talks about uh, who the executive officer is and the air officer and all of these engineers and everyone. And if we can pop over to the next slide. Again, you can't read this, but it's the order of the commissioning of this vessel. And basically what happens is the commandant of the Navy or the, the, the person who oversees the Navy uh, commissions the ship. He gets approval that, yes, this vessel works, and he gives instructions to the captain and the executive officer to now put this vessel into service, which they do. And so on September 10, 1945, the USS Midway put out to sea as an official part of the U.S. Naval Fleet. In fact, at that point, uh, they called it the tip of the spear. It was the most advanced, biggest, heaviest, uh, most technologically, uh, just in that that era, uh, advanced ship of its kind. And it served, in fact, you'll notice that year in 1945, that in May 1945 was VE Day, the end of uh, World, World War II, So this ship was designed really to serve during that war, but it would continue to serve for 47 years. 47 years that this ship 
and the thousands of thousands of uh, men, because in that season there were only men who served um, on board of a ship, served during the Korean War, served during the Vietnam, Vietnam War extensively during the Vietnam War, and even up to Operation Desert Storm in the early 90s in Iraq, it was stationed uh, in the Arabian Sea and was doing flight operations, went through a number of upgrades over the years. This ship was built with a specific purpose in mind. When, when they started drawing up the plans for it, and there was a meeting at some point that said, someone said, we need another aircraft carrier, and they started talking about its capabilities and what it needed to be able to do, the redundancies that needed to be built into it, the operational range that it needed to have, the kind of crew that it needed to have, what kind of aircraft would be able to land and take off on its deck. There was a conversation that happened in some room at some point that led to this ship being commissioned. Here's what didn't happen. They didn't build the ship, launch it in 1943, I mean 1945, and sail it from Newport News over to San Diego and pull it up next to a dock and turn it into a museum. That's not what happened. After 47 years of faithful service, it was actually mothballed. It was stationed up in Bremerton, Washington. You're like, why do you know so much about this? I just do. Um, and then it was brought down to San Diego in the early 2000s and became this museum. Here's why I love visiting the Midway. Because when you walk through the hangar deck and you walk up and down the stairs and you walk across the flight deck and you go up to the bridge, you can, you can smell the smells of this vessel that has been all over the world. And you can imagine what it was like when it was out in the Indian Ocean doing flight operations with any Top Gun fans, right? F-14 Tomcats, like launching off that catapult. And you know that there is story after story after story. One of my favorite parts is that a lot of the volunteers who man and, and run this museum are retired uh, Navy personnel who actually served on the ship. And you can talk to them about where they slept and where they served and what kind of jobs they did. There are stories to tell. And that the ship made an impact as it fulfilled its design and its purpose. You can obviously see where this is going. You have been fashioned with a purpose in mind, and your purpose was not to pull up next to a dock and function as a museum, talking about what could be and what might be and what should be, that you have been fashioned for a purpose and that God wants to commission you by a portion of his Holy Spirit and giving you the authority that you have in Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the good news. That's the church that Jesus loves. And we can love each other well, we can be united, we can be a giving church, but if we don't do this church, it doesn't matter, we might as well pack up and go home. And if I sound passionate about this, it's because I'm passionate about this. And my heart is that, you're, that inside of you a fire would be lit and a fire would be burned and a, a fire would burn and a fire would be stoked, that you would capture this. These are the very last things that Jesus says to his disciple, disciples. I'm giving you authority, now Go. 
My job on earth is done. Now I have a place that I need to go and stand and make intercession on your behalf. But I'm giving you authority. I'm giving it to you. Now go. And that word wasn't just for them. That word is absolutely and completely for us today. Here's what I want to do with our time that's remaining I want to talk about the Apostle Paul for a few minutes. I want to talk about a couple of highlights of his life. And then I'm going to end with two action points. I don't have two information points this morning. There's, no, there's information, but it's all in the form of action today. And I've got two action points that I want to close with. But I want you to read to you about the life of the Apostle Paul. The words won't be on the screen because I want to share it more of as a story. And I want you to just... Even if you want to close your eyes and imagine what Paul was going through. In fact, when we read here in Acts chapter 8 and 9, his name at this point is Saul. He hasn't, his name has not been changed yet. Listen to what the Bible says in Acts chapter 8. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. At this point, we recognize this guy is not a good guy. We call this actually the diaspora. I'm going to share a big Greek word with you. Um, the diaspora, it was the spreading of the people under persecution that caused the spread of the gospel around the world. And Paul was integral in that, but not in a good way. Okay, imagine if someone showed up here today and they started arresting us because we said that we believed in the word of God and the teaching of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ. Paul would be the leader of that group. Okay, Acts chapter 9, verse 3 through 15. As he neared, that is Saul, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anything. Saul got up from the ground, but when he had opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a name from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen him. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I love this response. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here, listen to this, with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I love the story of Saul. 
I love it for a few different reasons. Here's a couple of things that I see. First of all is this. Saul was the least qualified man on the planet to do that job. To go and preach the word. He was the last. If, if there was a lineup of people you could pick from, he, you would pick the stray cat before you picked Saul. He was the last person on the planet who God should have called to do this work. Yet he, God says, he is my chosen instrument. He's the one I selected. Not the council in Jerusalem, not the disciples. Jesus says, he is my chosen instrument. Why, why was he least qualified? Well, he persecuted the church. He was an enemy of the church. He wanted to destroy the church. And he was the person, even Ananias is going, there's no way that this man has come to faith. We know his reputation. We know who he is. I want to pause here for a second. There's someone in your life. There's someone in your life that you look at them and go, there's no way. There's no way they'll ever come to the Lord. There's no way they'll ever surrender their lives. There's no way they'll ever walk with the Lord, let alone preach His Word. There's no way they're too far gone. You know what I believe God would declare of that person? They are my chosen instrument. And if God has that posture, who are we to say that someone is written off? God not only wants to save them, he has a plan for them. And I would encourage you, whoever that person is in your life, it's time for you to start praying. It's time for you to start praying for them that God would meet them on a Damascus Road kind of experience and turn their lives around. Those testimonies are incredible. Not only was Paul the least qualified, he was also forgotten. Between Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 11 and 12, what happens is that Paul goes back, back to Jerusalem, and even the disciples are like, whoa, 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 whoa. This guy is bad news. And they're afraid to welcome him, welcome him in for good reason. But there's this man named Barnabas. I, Barnabas is absolutely one of my heroes in Scripture. And he comes alongside of Paul, and he comes before the, the council in Jerusalem, and he says, listen, let me tell you what God is doing in this man's life. Because already Paul was starting to preach and people were getting saved. It just started, he didn't go to Bible college. He spent some time preparing, but it was not a significant amount of time. And he just needed to get out what was inside of him, the truth of what God had done in his life. And so Barnabas brings him and he says, and presents him to the leaders in Jerusalem and he says, it's okay. And so for about a year, Paul ministers in Jerusalem and there is a great work that takes place. But because of his reputation, his life is now threatened. And so the leaders in Jerusalem say, it's, it's, getting, it's getting too dangerous, you need to leave. And they send Paul away, still Saul at this point, we'll just call him Paul for convenience. They send him away to Tarsus, his hometown, they said, you need to get out of here. Between Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 11, when we start reading about Antioch, 13 years pass. There's 13 years that go by, and Paul isn't mentioned in those 13 years. For us, it's two chapters. We're like, oh, it's just two chapters. 13 years. 
He's forgotten. He's not included in the narrative of Scripture at that point. Until Barnabas is sent to the city in it called Antioch, where this church had sprung up, and there's these Gentiles that had come to faith in Christ, had started a church without the authority of the council in Jerusalem, because God was just doing something, and so the council in Jerusalem says to Barnabas, go check it out, and see, make sure that this is this is legit, that this thing is real. And so he goes and he gets there and he finds this group of believers from all over the world, these Gentile believers, who say, we need to start a church here. And he realizes that it's the real deal. And you know what Barnabas does at this moment is he remembers his friend Paul, who when they were hanging out talking, Paul said, here's what God said to me. He said that I was his chosen instrument to reach the Gentiles. And Barnabas thinks back 12 years. I can't remember what I had for lunch last week. Barnabas remembers 12 years back having a conversation with Paul where he goes, wait a minute, these are Gentile believers. God said that Paul would be his chosen instrument to reach these people. And so Barnabas doesn't go back to Jerusalem. At least there's no record of that. He turns and he goes to Tarsus and he goes and finds forgotten Paul. And he brings him back. Read the story in Acts. It's awesome. And by the way, the first missionary journey did not originate out of Jerusalem. It came out of Antioch, out of the Gentile church in Antioch. Because these people couldn't contain what God was doing. And it was Paul and Barnabas who set out on that first journey. He was forgotten. Paul faced opposition. He faced opposition from the apostles. He faced opposition from the Jewish leaders. He faced opposition from the Gentiles in the cities where he ministered. He faced opposition from the, Jewish, from the Roman government. He faced opposition from, uh, from, from everywhere. He was thrown in prison. Paul faced all kinds of opposition. And not only that, he also faced personal hardship. He was shipwrecked. Badly. And then after he gets shipwrecked, he gets bitten by a snake. He also gets whipped multiple times. Receives lashes on his back. The 40 minus 1. Because if you usually went to 40, it meant that your life would be taken from you. People couldn't survive that. Not just once, but twice. Paul faced hardship. Yet he went and became Spokesman, God's chosen instrument to go and preach the word. As a result, a large portion of the New Testament that we read today are the words of Paul. The least qualified man. The least qualified man. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to hear this in the heart that it's being asked. I don't want you to get all defensive or angry And I don't want the enemy to distract you, but I mean this in all genuineness. Considering what Paul walked through, what's your excuse? What's your excuse? What are the reasons in your heart and mind that you've come up with to stay alongside the dock? What's your excuse? Well, pastor, you just don't know. I don't know, I read about people in Scripture and they face some pretty gnarly stuff. Pretty horrendous stuff. And I'm not saying that the things in our lives don't matter. 
But so often, reasons become excuses. And God is calling His church to stop occupying space and start being an occupying force. I'm going to say that again. God is calling His church to stop occupying space and to start being an occupying force. I was talking to someone this morning, and actually I was overhearing a conversation, and two brothers were saying, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. And there was some pushback, and it was a fun dialogue. And then the response was, I'm forcefully advancing, which is a direct quote from Scripture, that God has caused, called His church to forcefully advance. Why? Because sometimes we're going to get stuck. We're going to get held up, and there's going to be things that become distraction. We will face hardship, but at no point can they ever, church, hear me, can they become an excuse. Because God is for you, He's not against you. Church, it is time for us to set sail. It's time for us to go It's safe in the harbor. It's nice in the harbor. We were not designed to stay in the harbor. We were were designed to go. Okay, so here's our action points. Two action points this morning. Not information points. You can write these in your notes. You can tweet them. You can put them on your Facebook. But don't let it stop there. In fact, I encourage you to do that. If you haven't checked in on Facebook at church this morning, please do that. Let people know that you're here. It's an easy way. It's an easy way. For you to let people know that Thrive Church is meeting right here in the heart of Glendora. Two action points. The first is this. You are sent to your neighbors. You are sent to your neighbors. You know, when we talk about being sent in the Great Commission, immediately what people think of is the ends of the earth. We think missions. Get on a plane and go somewhere around the world. A week from tomorrow... Uh, Our Kenya team, 15 of us, will get on a plane at LAX, and we will fly from there to Istanbul, nice 14-and-a-half-hour flight, and then from Istanbul to Nairobi, Kenya. We've been on uh, on FaceTime and email and texting with Gary and Brenda Keene, our missionaries there, and we have an agenda, and we have jobs to do, and there are people that we're going to minister to. We're going to the ends of the earth, but going to the ends of the earth is not where Jesus started. What did he say? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He started at home. You have been sent to your neighbors. You are a person on mission and you are to be on mission in your neighborhood, in your workplace, to the people around you. That God has fashioned you and designed you and commissioned you and given you authority to reach the people in your immediate vicinity. Can I ask you this morning, do you have a heart for your neighbors? Do you long to see your neighbors come to faith in Jesus Christ? I read a great article around Easter time this year. It was an article written by an atheist, and I believe it was the New York Times that he wrote for and, and the title of the article was, Why Do My Christian Friends in, Keep Inviting Me to Church? And I started reading this thinking, oh man, here we go again, another guy bashing the church. And it wasn't at all. It was this atheist talking about, hey, stop giving your Christian friends a hard time for inviting you to church. Because his, his logic is this, and I love this. This is someone who doesn't even acknowledge the Lord. He says this, if you have found this life 
in Christ, if your faith means so much to you, I don't think it means much if you don't ask me to be a part of it. I, don't, I doubt if you really believe it if you're not asking me to come and join you. What a great perspective out of the mouth of someone who doesn't even believe saying, listen, if you really believe it, you'd ask me to come and join you. Because one day, some friends of mine are going to stop being Cowboys fans and become Giants fans. I'm convinced of it, and I'm just going to keep asking. Okay, maybe not. If I believe in something, I'm going to invite you to be a part of it. I'm going to want you to be a part of it. But the key is I have to believe it for myself first. That fire has to be burning inside of me. God is sending you to the neighbors. The greatest picture we have of this in Scripture is the Good Samaritan. Jesus talks about this parable of the Good Samaritan. This man is beat up, and, and all the people who should have taken care of him didn't. And the guy who shouldn't have taken care of him did. Do you see a pattern here, by the way? I've heard this said before. I'm borrowing this quote from someone else, but he it's this, that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And we have to stop looking at our flaws and our mistakes and the things that limit us and start stepping into what God has called us to. And it starts with the people around us. You need to see your neighbors, you need to love your neighbors, and you need to reach your neighbors. And I'd even insert there, you need to know your neighbors. And I'm not just talking about the people who live on your street. But start getting to know the people that you see in your community. If you see them all the time, just go up and say hi. Be the one to initiate. Is it awkward? Yeah, maybe. But it's only awkward once. And start building bridges to reach people. God has called us to reach our community. And can I tell you right now, that's not my job. That's not my job. Ephesians 4 says this, that God gave some to be evangelists, apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. To do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To do what we're doing right here this morning. Now, I have a share in that job, but my job is to train you up to go and reach your community. Church, can we go reach our city? Would you go reach your neighborhood? Would you ask God to open doors that have been closed, to open your eyes that maybe have been closed, to give you a heart and a passion for your neighbors and for your city? And let's trust that God will bring in the harvest as we, his workers, are faithful to go out into the harvest. The second is this, that we are sent to the nations. It didn't just stop in Jerusalem. It went from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to all of the ends of the earth. We have work to do in our city, in our community, but beyond that, just right here in L.A., the world is coming to us. We can have a global impact without ever leaving this county. That's, that's Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. I talked about our team going next week, that we're going to take time, two weeks and money team has been raising funds and raising finances, and I want to encourage you right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a minute to actually partner uh, with us, but our team has been working to raise the money, $3,700 to go to Kenya. That's not cheap. 
But we have seen God provide and provide and provide. And there are testimonies and stories that you will hear about God's provision. By the way, money is an excuse. It's not a reason. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Money is an excuse. It's not a reason. Why? Because your Father will supply all your needs. That is a word of God to you. Money is an excuse. Not a reason. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We have a share in that. I borrowed this from our Foursquare denomination. Four words, you can write these down. They'll be up on the screen. Four easy ways that you can partner globally. First is this, pray. Pray. We don't have these available today, but I promise you we will. And the people who will help me make this happen, are paying attention. We have, within Foursquare, we have a Foursquare Missions Prayer Guide that we're going to make available to you. There's a great website with some resources and ways that you can pray. Pray for Gary and Brenda Keene, our Foursquare missionaries in Kenya. We have a relationship with them. We love them, and we care about them. You can pray there. But our prayer, the Bible says, is powerful and effective. And I, I tell you this, prayer has no boundaries on it. Praying in Glendora, California, you can pray for people in Africa, and those prayers will be answered. When you have a moment, Andrew, where are you at? Right there. Raise your hand nice and high. Okay, after service, you need to ask him about the story of the plane not running out of gas because a lady was praying. All right, I'm not going to get into the whole story. When he was a kid on the mission field. Pray. Your prayer is powerful. Give. Give. Simply give. Every time we talk to Gary and Brenda, they're going, hey, we've had people commit to give, and then they don't. And there are people who don't get fed. There are children who don't have shoes on their feet. There's kids who don't get to go to school. Their clinics, their clinic closed last week. One clinic, one doctor servicing over 10,000 people, and they closed because of uh, limited space. The government came in and said, you have two rooms, you need three, and so we're shutting you down. And so now there are people, Brenda, in, with tears, literally yesterday, Megan and I are talking to her on FaceTime, tears streaming down her face, saying people get in, uh, who are sick in this slum die before they get to the hospital in the next community because there's no health care available to them. Your giving makes an eternal difference. It's an eternal investment. And we're going to have ways, and we're going to be very clear about the ways that we're calling our church to give and partner in giving. We're a missions-giving church. Our church and our church council has decided that every month that a part of our giving as a church is sent on. We, we tithe to our denomination, but we also give to Foursquare Missions because it's an important part, part, important part of who we are. About three years ago, I was at a conference in Anaheim, our Foursquare National Conference, and um, during one of the, the speaker's messages, my faith was being challenged for our church, and I believe that we need to have things out in front of us that stretch us, stretch our faith, things that we're believing for. It's, it's not faith if you can do it on your own. It's not faith if you can do it on your own. And so I say, Lord, where do you want me to believe and, 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 and present to our church a point of faith, a point of belief? And, and here's what popped into my head. Pray, pray for a building. We're going to trust for a building. And some of you remember this, I've shared this before, but I think it's important to share it again. Immediately, 
I felt the correction of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he spoke to me. Stop praying for a building. Because whatever you think you need will not be big enough to contain the work I want to do. Stop thinking about a building. Because God didn't predict a place, he predicted a people. And the word he gave me was, I have something for you, and I will show you when it's time. Okay. Then, Lord, what are you calling us to? And the word that God gave me was this. That we would be a church that gives in missions, whether locally or globally, $200,000 a year. That we would give $200,000 a year away. Now, let me tell you right now why that's a faith, a faith step. Because $200,000 is our current annual budget. And the question I asked back then and the question I pose to you today is what kind of church? Not how big of a church. What kind of church would we need to be to see $200,000 being given to missions every year? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In Glendora, L.A. County, California, the United States of America, and to the ends of the earth. What kind of church would we need to be? We're called to give. We're called to partner. There are organizations all over the world. And, and, and we partner with Jacaranda in Kenya because we have a relationship with them. They minister to kids. They do health care. There's all kinds of things they do. But it might be that you appreciate those things, but you go, you know what, my heart is human trafficking. My heart is human trafficking. I want to make a difference. Then find an organization that's reputable, and if you need help vetting an organization out, come and, come and ask me. I'm passionate about missions, and I have resources we can work with. But partner with an organization where your passion point is stirred. And if, if you can't go right now, then just say, I'll I'll help partner. How can I be a resource? We have a friend of ours who, she went to Kenya with us. She now does the bookkeeping and accounting for Jacaranda. She lives in Rancho Santa Margarita, California. And she does it for free. Why? Because it stirred a passion in her. And so she partnered with an organization that was in line with God's call in her life. And the last one is this, go. Pray, give, partner, and go. We have 15 of us going to Kenya for two weeks. Maybe God's calling you to go. Maybe he's calling you to go on a short-term missions trip. Um, we're going to go back to Kenya. We're going to go to Kenya a lot. Um, I believe that God has given us open doors of ministry, and Paul says an open door of effective ministry has been opened to me. I believe there's an open door of effective ministry that has been opened to us in the nation of Kenya, and as long as that is taking place, we'll be partnering and we'll be going. And so if you feel the Lord stirring your heart to be a part of a Kenya missions trip, then come and talk to me. Let me know. Fred and Jamie, sitting right here in the front row, they oversee the go portion of our, our mission statement. No, no, grow, serve, and go. Go is so important to us that we included it in our mission. If you're interested in missions, come talk to this couple, whether it's locally or globally. Come talk to them, and we'll find ways to get you involved. But some of you may be called to go, and, I, and when I say go, I mean go, to sell your house, to sell your cars, to quit your job, and to go. God is looking for people, for men and women and children, 
will give up everything and go and serve people in another part of the world. So pray, give, partner, and go. I want to show you a few pictures, and this is a very tangible opportunity for us. This is, these are some of the pictures of uh, Jacaranda Education Center in Nairobi. It's in the Mararui slum. It's a little three-bedroom house where they've started a school. They have 75 students in the school, and you can see there's a lot of kids packed around just a few desks. Um, we're actually, our team will be doing some projects in that school. There's some things that need to be upgraded and painted and fixed in that school, like any school, like this school. I was talking to Bobby, our janitor, this morning. He's, like, he's in fix-it mode because all the teachers are out, and now it's time to get in those classrooms. Kids break stuff. Can I get an amen? All right? These... these these, this school is showing signs of wear. Uh, one of my last trips to Kenya, we actually installed ceilings in, in the room. It was all open to the, to the attic. We installed ceilings. Look how many kids are around that desk. So here's what, in talking with Brenda, I said, what are your needs? What do you need? And she says, we need desks for our school. We need new desks. Because all of their des desks are mismatched, and all the chairs are mismatched. And she got kids sitting in chairs that don't fit them. And so I said, well, can... Here's the way it works in Nairobi. You don't just go to the store and buy it. What you do is you find a guy who welds, a shop that welds, and then they build them custom for you, right? Isaac, is that right? Isaac grew up in Kenya. Um, and, and it's fairly inexpensive. And so I said, well, what's the cost and how much do you need? And so here's what we figured out. Uh, they need 16 desks with four chairs per desk. And if we uh, gave $1,200 we'd be able to make that a reality for that school, $1,200. It's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money. And I'm, I'm going to ask that you would consider um, partnering with us to make that a reality for that school. It's a very tangible way that we can express to this school and to this ministry, hey, we're standing with you. We're going to do uh, something on Facebook this week, and we're going to reach out to a larger community and ask them to partner as well. But, but here's what I know. There is things right in front of us where we can make a difference. And, 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 and it's those faces. By the way, we'll get to hug some of those necks in a couple of weeks, right? Lynn's like, yeah, next Sunday, don't miss next Sunday. We're going to pray over our team uh, before we leave. Would you be here? It's Father's Day as well. Come celebrate Father's Day. But would you be here so you can pray over us as we go? But it's going to make a difference in the lives of those kids. Church, God has called us to set sail. He's called us to get out of the harbor, to cast off those bow lines, to get everyone in the right place, serving in the right way, to set, to, to set out to see and make a difference for the kingdom of God. He's not calling just me. He's calling you. Here's what I want to do. I want to close the service, and our worship team is going to come up in just a minute. We're going to sing that same song that we finished with at the end as a declaration over all of this. But here's what I want to do. I actually want to have a point of action. My, my goal this morning is not to guilt trip you. Just know that up front. And I'm going to ask for this response. If you are feeling this and you're ready to make this response, great. If you're not ready to go there and you need time to pray and be before the Lord, that's fine. No one's looking at you or judging you. 
I just tell you right up front, we have to process this appropriately. But I know for some of you in this room, I know because I've had these conversations literally right before service today, that some of you are ready to go. And in the same way the USS Midway was commissioned, I want to pray over you this morning to be commissioned to go. If you're ready to be put into service, if you're ready to stop being tied up along the dock and ready to be put into service, in the same way that Jesus declared the authority and commissioned the disciples, we want to do that this morning. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If that's you, if God is speaking to you in that way, I just want you to stand up to your feet in front of all of these people. Would you stand and would you acknowledge before the Lord that that's where you're at today? You're ready to be commissioned for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh, we're not going to break any champagne over your head, so... But we are going to anoint you. In fact, if we can, I'm going to have you come up front. Anyone else? Anyone else? You're saying, yeah. Now listen, you might know all of the answers. What I'm, not, I'm not going to take a picture of you, write your name down and say, okay, you remember that day, right? I will encourage you. But this is simply an acknowledgement before your church family and your heavenly father that you're ready to go. Anyone else? You're ready to, and by the way, this doesn't mean you're signing up for a missions trip. Okay? Unless you want to. Unless you want to. For the rest, would you ask God this week where he's calling you to go? He's sending you to your neighbors and to the nations. Let's do that. By the way, if you want to partner with uh, raising the support for these desks for the school, um, I know we've already received our tithes and offering, but if you want to write a check, you can also give online. Uh, there's a, a line item in the online giving uh, that, that mentions the Kenya missions trip. You can just give towards that, and we'll know what that's for. If you want to give by check or cash, you can just put that in an envelope. Um, and then Jim, we'll have Jim at the back with a basket, and you can give that to him after service. We can give that, by the way, this week, online this during the week, and then next Sunday as well if you want to I take some time to pray on that. Um, this is this is significant. We have some oil. You got it. All right. Um, this is significant. Mindy came prepared. She brought her own. And <laughs> um, and it's my honor to be able to commission you. It's my honor. Jeannie, will you come join Brian? Yeah. Um, Because I know this couple are doing work in Haiti right now. In fact, Brian, you don't know this, by the way, but I'm going to be going to Haiti with you in October. So we had that conversation on Friday, and uh, we're going to go do some incredible work in Haiti, and there will be opportunities for you to go with Brian as well. If you, don't, if you want to know more about that, uh, grab a cup of coffee with him, and I know he'd love to share. You need to know that taking a stand like this changes everything. It changes everything. The commitment between you and these people and you and your Heavenly Father, and he knows this is not a surprise to him. It's not a surprise to him. 
but he loves it when we stand up in this way and say, yes, Lord. Remember the words of Isaiah, standing in the presence of God, and he says, who will go? Whom shall I send? He says, here am I. And it wasn't reluctant. It was like that little kid. Pick me, pick me, pick me. He's picked you and he's pleased with you. And so we're going to anoint you, Megan and Abby, if you want to come up as well on that side. And let's uh, anoint each of you. The anointing of oil is, is a part of the consecration. The, the, oil, the oil represents the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. <sighs> Samuel came and he anointed David as king. He poured oil over his head. Thank you, our God. Yeah. I said, you're set apart. What this means is this is not a one day thing. One day in the future, this is a now thing. When God calls and, sing, and consecrates and sets apart, it's now. He sees you in that place. Now we see you in that place now. And there's a, there's a level of accountability that comes with what's happening right now. Not in a, so what are you doing kind of way, but more of a, hey, how can I be praying for you? Because here's what is going to happen, and I know for many of you it's already happening. There's opposition. Paul faced opposition. You will face opposition, right? Water lines will break on the back of fridges and flood your houses. I'm not speaking that as a prophetic, (laughs) but that's what happened to Tom and Deb. That's the house that they came back to. Why? Because God's got something huge for you guys. Your finances will be challenged. Your relationships will be stretched. But God says, I'm for you. I'm not against you. Church, can we stand together and pray over these? In fact, can we just move out of our chairs and come lay hands on them? Um, This might be different for you. You might be going, I've never been to a church like this. It's okay. We're not normal, and we embrace it. As you pray and as I'm praying, if, if God gives you a word, if he gives you a picture, if he speaks something uh, for the, the person or the people that you're praying for, um, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just remember the word and then write it down for them as soon as we're done and we'll pass that on to them. For, Father God, this morning, we acknowledge and recognize that we have been fashioned for a purpose Now, there is no coincidence and there is no accident in the kingdom of God. Everything is extremely intentional. Now, Jesus, you were sent by your Father, but then you sent us. And these today are acknowledging before God and men that they are responding to the call of God to go. And Lord, I declare over everyone, because you're all standing up front now, so it was part of my plan, (laughs) that we would go to our neighbors but we would also go to the nations. And Lord, that you would unpack and reveal what that looks like for every single one of us. Lord, I pray for the most timid person in the group. You know who you are. At least you think you do. That God would release in you an authority and a boldness as, as unlike you've ever seen before. That you would preach the word boldly with power and conviction. Lord, I pray for a release of finances in Jesus' name. You are Jehovah Jireh, our our provider. 
You own the cattle on the thousand hills, and your word says there is nothing too difficult for God. So a few dollars, no big deal. Father God, release provision. Lord, as you do, I pray that our hearts would be taught to walk in obedience in the area of finances. And it would become less an ex- more a reason and less an excuse and even less of a reason, God. And that we would step out onto the water even before we know where the provision is coming from. God, I pray for kingdom influence. God, I thank you that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And church, I just see on the deck of that midway, there were cannons and, and guns that surrounded the deck to pr- protect that ship from the enemy. And they would dispatch planes that would go and fly a circle, circle out in a, a larger perimeter before even when the enemy would come in close, there was defensive weapons in place. You have defensive weapons at your disposal it's the word of, God, word of God, which is the sword, and it is prayer and prayer in the spirit. And I would say exercise those weapons daily. God, we look forward to the testimonies of the lives that are impacted for eternity because of this step of obedience today. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, let's give the Lord praise offering. If you, uh, good. I think we're good. Hey, would you give someone a hug? If you had a word for someone, would you write that down and then give that, pass that on to them? Uh, it's a beautiful day. Invite someone to lunch. You're dismissed. <laughs>